It's a great time to spring into summer at Riverview Senior Living Community in Fargo. Hi, I'm Carrie Dew, Executive Director. We are currently accepting new independent and assisted living residents. Riverview provides a safe, comfortable place to live with a small town Main Street feel with home-cooked food, a la carte care services, daily activities, and mass five days a week. You can contact Marin or Katie to find out about all that Riverview has to offer at 701-237-4700 or at homeishere.org. If there is a merciful God, how can he allow such suffering? I'm Father Chris Alar. God took his greatest risk in giving you his greatest gift, free will. He risked that you may choose not to love him and to hurt your neighbor. But even then, God wants to bring a greater good out of evil. There is no worse evil than a creature nailing his creator to a tree. Yet God brought a greater good from it, your redemption. God doesn't want you to suffer, but he allows it. Why? Because your suffering can also be redemptive when you share in the cross of Christ. It is not easy, but when you learn how, it changes everything. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sappo from Lumen Vision in South Fargo, near Saints Anne and Joachim Church. Lumen Vision is a full-service eye care facility that provides eye exams for both children and adults. We offer a variety of frames with missions you can believe in, like Eco Eyewear, an environmentally friendly frame company that plants a tree for each frame sold. For more information about our mission and scheduling your appointment online, you can go to lumen.vision. Lumen Vision is a proud sponsor of the Real Presence Radio Network. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. I'm Father Brian Christensen here at the Cathedral of Our Lady of Perpetual Help in Rapid City, South Dakota, and I'm joined by co-host Karen Gibis. Um, we're so happy that you have joined us today uh, for Real Presence Live. Thanks thanks for being with us. Um, we've had a great morning so far, Karen. It's amazing. The lineup of guests has been phenomenal. And our next guest, um, I count as a friend, a classmate from seminary. I did not know that. This is true, and uh, he's joining us by radio. Uh, good morning, Father Tad Poholchek. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Father? I'm doing well. I am doing very, very well, and it's really good to hear your voice. Where are you, uh, where are you calling us from? I'm currently up in uh, Massachusetts. I was just out in your neck of the woods, though. Uh, we were doing a conference at the University of Mary on uh, Friday and Saturday. Up in the Bismarck there. Conference. Okay. Yeah, what, Bismarck. what was the nature of the, what was the kind of the topics that you guys were covering there in that conference at the University of Mary in Bismarck? We were trying to give a kind of broad uh, view of the whole bioethical arena. So we covered a lot of ground. There were issues from the beginning of life, touching on abortion, contraception, uh, moving to stem cell research, assisted reproduction, you know, like in vitro fertilization. We also dealt with the transgender issue, which, of course, is so very, very prominent these days. And then uh, did some things on the protection of conscience rights, especially for healthcare workers, because 
as you can imagine, healthcare workers are sort of feeling the pressure these days. Right. I, I do and, get, as pastor here in Rapid City, many questions from our healthcare providers about different issues. Yeah, and I think people are interested in knowing uh, what's the best way to respond in the face of some of that institutional pressure uh, that they sometimes experience or other professional pressures. So we definitely addressed that, and we also dealt with some end-of-life issues, which is another huge area, Sure, uh, and also a talk on brain death. Okay, and uh, um, yeah, that is a wide spectrum of topics. It was a two-day conference up there at Mary? Two days, so it started on Friday, uh, was the whole day Friday, and um, most of Saturday as well. And um, we also had some breakout sessions where basically... We take the participants and set up as um, mini ethics committees, and then we deal with some cases. We give them some concrete cases and say, all right, let's think through this. You know, what would be the ethical response? What would be appropriate here? So that's always a good exercise as well for uh, the, the participants. Who, who generally has participated in, in that conference, and did you have any challenges with regard to the, the COVID situation right now? You know, what we did was, uh, based on the room size, we did make the appropriate calculations, and we capped the number of people who could register at 21. Okay. And with that, we were able to have individual desks that were spaced six feet apart, and people had the option of wearing a mask as well if they wanted to. Uh, so it, you know, went very well, and I think... Um, it would have been nice, perhaps, to have had a larger room and be able to admit a few more people. But, you know, we're just, uh, given the strange situation we're in with COVID, we thought we'll start a little smaller here and kind of get the wheels turning again, uh, you know, back towards normalcy. We'll be doing another one of these conferences uh, in New York in September. Okay, no, that's wonderful. Now, um, I'm speaking with Father Tad Boholchek. Um, tell us a little bit about, um, you are with the um, National Catholic Bioethics Center, did I get that right? That's correct. Yeah, that's NCBC, exactly right. right? And that's based out of Philadelphia. That's based in Philadelphia, that's right. And, Could you tell uh, us a little I'm bit about the organization itself, the NCBC, National Catholic Bioethics Center? Yes, so I have been with them since about 2003. It's uh, one of the really leading Catholic uh, bioethics institutes, and we um, we have about five full-time staff members, um, and we have several then others who you know assist with the other work of the center. So we're about a dozen people altogether. Uh, our president for a long time was Dr. John Haas. Many people are familiar with him. Uh, he retired over a year ago, and Dr. Joseph Meany uh, took over. He was formerly with Human Life International and uh, worked with them for uh, a couple of decades. And pre prior to that, he, uh, he was doing studies at the University of Dallas, uh, and he also did a doctorate in Rome in bioethics. And so he's our president for the past about year and a half, and... Uh, you know, has taken the reins and hit hit the ground running. Sure, so, there's um, no there's no yeah. there's no shortage of uh, of uh, um, issues that you guys are addressing on behalf of the church. That's right. One of the things that we do is we offer a conference every two years in Dallas uh, for the bishops, 
and we invite all the U.S. bishops, the Canadian bishops, usually the bishops from Mexico uh, and Central America as well, and sometimes also the bishops from the Philippines. So we typically get about oh, 140, 150 bishops who show up for this event. It's uh, uh, about three days, and we give them you know a number of different updates, deal with current topics, also have breakout sessions tailored to the bishops' needs, and that's quite a you know a, a big production, if you will, uh, for us every two years to be able to do that. We do it in collaboration with the Knights of Columbus. So that's one of our educational initiatives. Uh, I travel and speak on these issues around the country quite a bit, you know, trying to get the word out and um, assist people to understand really the Catholic angle, you know, with greater clarity. Right. I think that, you know, sometimes people will say to me, well, Father Pat, it seems like you're doing a lot of preaching to the choir. And I will say to them, well, you know, that's true, but at the moment, the choir doesn't really know how to sing. So once we get them singing, you know, it's going to be a glorious thing, and uh, it's really wonderful to have the opportunity to, to preach to the choir, as it were, in that way. No, exactly. I, I, I firmly agree, you know, that um, as a pastor, um, trying to uh, communicate some of these difficult issues on, on life and the different bioethical issues that arise within people's lives um, and seeing my parishioners trying to live that out, whether in their businesses, in their family life, in their professional careers, um, is a real challenge. And so having the support of the National Catholic Bioethics Center and people like yourself um, is a great blessing to the Church. Yeah, and I mean, I think there are opportunities here if we do this well. Even, you know, when you mentioned the pastoral level, I mean, you can have two things, for example, around assisted reproduction happen. You could have parishioners come to you or me, you know, as a parish priest, and say, hey, Father, you know, I've heard that there may be some issues about doing in vitro. Can you help me out here? And, you know, if, if we're able to deflect that, if they understand the wisdom of the Church here, the teaching of the Lord about bringing new life into the world, well, that's a, that's a significant, you know, light bulb going off and a new direction for them. On the other hand, if they don't come to us or we're not able to assist them and they go and they do in vitro fertilization, well, then sometimes what ends up happening, and we see this a lot at the Bioethics Center, they come to us later and they say, look, I did this, I wasn't sure I should have done it. I've now got eight frozen embryos, eight children in the deep freeze. Father, what do I do? I feel right. so bad about this. You know, so uh, you're right. It's really an important pastoral reality, and that's how it works for all of these bioethical issues. I mean, even in the arena of transgender, which we mentioned briefly in the opener, uh, it can be the same thing. If somebody comes to you and they have a chance to, to kind of carefully think this through, get some good supportive advice, you know, maybe from the priest, but also from others who work in the medical field and, uh, you know, have the right approach to this, uh, this can assist those individuals to integrate who they are and work properly towards an understanding of sex and gender. On the other hand, if they don't get that support, you know, they may fall into that, that tunnel where they rapidly, you know, start doing hormonal treatments, they're getting surgeries, they're damaging their own bodies in ways that can't be later uh, repaired, 
and you know going down a pathway that will be very deleterious and harmful to them further down the road. So they're really, you know, these are eminently practical questions that, that at the end of the day we're dealing with. And the same thing even just to jump to the end of life. You know, sometimes people say, hey, what do I do here? Do I need to do a feeding tube? Or is this ventilator really required? And if they make these decisions correctly, then when their loved one dies, they're very much at peace. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, if they don't, you know, they can have a lot of regret and say, gee, I don't think my mom died, you know, well. And looking back on it, we should have done things differently. So it really is a, a, a golden pastoral moment when we have the chance to help our people think through these issues. And it seems like, you know, from that pastoral perspective, that you really want to get the good news out there um out in front of all of these things, as you were saying, that we can help people with this beautiful truth of our of our human uh, identity as children of God, created in His image and likeness, with this great capacity for life and for sharing life, um, it, so that we don't come to the day when we're trying to patch up the difficult situations in which people find themselves in. That's it. I think that's really key. And, uh, you know, that's the beauty of Christ's message, really, isn't it? I mean, in the sense that sin is always hurtful. It always has effect. And we sometimes try to tell ourselves, oh, you know, we can just do it and it won't have any bad effect and we can, you know, get through it and we'll be fine. But the reality is always, when we come out the other end, that the Lord's wisdom is the best path for us. And we have to ask for the courage and the wisdom to accept that at the beginning and then to walk down uh, that path with its, you know, challenges and graces. Right. I want to I wanna follow up on that uh, that pathway of the Lord a little bit and, and back up a little bit. I mean, I think uh, you have uh, touched on so many interesting topics, uh, I would say topics of interest to our listeners here on uh, Real Presence Radio this morning. Um, but before we kind of delve into some of those more deeply, perhaps, uh, I wanted to ask you about your the way that the Lord has led you along his pathway. Um, you obviously have a, an amazing education, um, but also you're a Catholic priest. So could you talk a little bit about the way that the Lord has led you, one, to the priesthood, and two, into, uh, into the area of bioethics? Yes. Um, well, I mean, I came, I grew up in a family where science was pretty important. My mom uh, is an RN, and my dad was an astrophysicist, and so, you know, there was, there was a lot of kind of talk about science around the dinner table. And it turned out my dad was an astronomer at the University of Arizona, and that the Vatican Observatory actually had kind of an outpost at the University of Arizona. So some of their Jesuit priests uh, would come and work at the University of Arizona. And we'd have them over for dinner sometimes. And this influenced me a lot, you know, as a youngster kind of hearing these conversations, they'd be talking about, you know, some pretty big, heady concepts, things like the origins of the universe and, you know, the role of black holes in generating some of the very distant phenomena in the universe. And uh, it was just fascinating to hear this and to see, you know, all of them, men of faith, including my dad, uh, recognizing, you know, the amazing reality that God had set in motion and that they were working hard to understand as astronomers and, and physicists. So from an so early age, from an early age, you have this, this 
interweaving of faith and and reason, faith and science that was just natural to to your very fabric of your life. That's right, and I think that you know I carried that with me once I became aware of a calling to the priesthood. Uh, and I actually, when I was 19, decided, you know, I'm going to test the waters here, make sure God really is calling me to be a priest. And I went to a seminary in Connecticut where it was possible to begin philosophy studies on my own and um, kind of pay my own way. And, you know, I lived there, lived in the seminary, and realized during that year, absolutely, God mm-hmm. is calling me, there's no doubt. Uh, and that was a wonderful kind of certainty to arrive at, but at the same time, because of some, well, some debates that I had with one of my philosophy professors there, a really brilliant guy, he was a Yale-educated uh, professor, and we we differed over a couple of things with regards to science and religion, and I said to myself at the end of the year, you know, I said, I have to study science in even greater depth and bring it into the priesthood. And I wasn't sure why, I wasn't sure where, you know, how God was going to use that, but I just knew I had to do that. So I went back to the University of Arizona, where I had started my undergrad, finished up my studies there, you know, it was in biochem, uh, molecular cell biology, and chemistry, and then went on to grad school. And uh, when I went back to grad school and studied neuroscience, then I was also uh, doing some theology on the side, you know, in the anticipation of going full-time back into the seminary later, uh, which I did, you know, a few years later after finishing a doctorate in neuroscience. Okay, so you completed your doctorate in neuroscience. The whole time that you were going through this, your undergraduate and your advanced work, the the sense of the call to priesthood, did that remain throughout those those years? It was fixed, absolutely fixed, which, you know, is an unusual grace, I think. In other words, I knew that I had a lot of years of study ahead, but I had no doubt that this is what I was called to. So, I mean, for example, I did not date anybody. Right. I just knew, you know, I said, I can't go go out and date women because I know that this is where the Lord is leading me. So I don't want to give some woman a false sense that I might be available when I realize I'm not. So it was an unusual clarity, um, and, you know, I was able to really focus, double down on the science and the work that I was doing, uh, because, you know, when you're doing graduate student-level work, at, I was a graduate student at Yale, um, you have to almost live in the lab. You become kind of a monk for science. <laughs> I was there sometimes, you know, working through the whole night until the next morning, uh, finishing up experiments, and then go home, catch a few hours of sleep, and come back and do the same thing over again. Right. So it was kind of, you know, insanity, but uh, <laughs> still... <laughs> hey, that, uh, it's just an amazing part of the story, like, as you say, a, a, a tremendous grace from God. Um, for our listeners, we're talking here with Father Ted Paholcek. He's the Director of Education at the National Catholic Bioethics Center, um, and he's joining us uh, to share a little bit about his vocation and the unique um, marriage that he has with the, with the science and his call to priesthood. I'm, and we're going to talk after the break here, Father, about your new appointment um, to the National Institutes of Health and especially new board that they developed. So um, we look forward to hearing a little bit more about that and the ongoing work that you're doing with your colleagues at the NCBC.
Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Rose Management is a family-owned business that believes in good morals, doing the right thing, and treating our residents as family. Rose Management provides affordable housing to complexes throughout North Dakota and Minnesota. All Rose Management properties and our maintenance staff are in a centralized location in their cities. If you have any questions, you can call 701-237-6840 or online at rosemanagement.net. Again, that number is 701-237-6840. SJ Machine, proudly named after and dedicated to St. Joseph, provides quality machining and induction heat treating to a variety of industries. Just as St. Joseph worked diligently to meet his family's needs, SJ Machine strives to understand and meet your production needs. Prototype to production, working together towards success. SJ Machine can be reached at 701-347-0155 and are a proud supporter of the Real Presence Radio Network. The world is changing fast and needs problem solvers and critical thinkers. Right here in your backyard, Not Marty believes every student has the potential to serve the world and make a difference. We will help you obtain a degree that prepares you for success by exploring your talents and passion. Our community goes above and beyond to help each student feel at home, surrounded by love and support. We can't wait for you to see what's possible. We hope the future brings you here, close to home at mountmarty.edu. In today's crowded higher education field, there's one university whose quality and personal care stands out from the crowd, the University of Mary. The University of Mary offers truly affordable, flexible adult education because your success is our priority. Here, you matter, and we're with you every step of the way to make sure you succeed. Choose a university community that cares about you as a student for life. Discover us at online.umary.edu slash discovermary. All right, welcome back to Real Presence Live. We're broadcasting high above Cathedral Drive here in Rapid City at the Cathedral of Our Lady Perpetual Help. I'm with uh, my co-host, Karen Gibis. I'm Father Brian Christensen. And this uh, morning we have a wonderful uh, guest, Father Tad Poholchek, uh, Director of Education from the National Catholic Bioethics Center, sharing a little bit about how God moved him in his early life, uh, both an interest in science uh, and a deep uh, relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that led him both to a a doctorate uh, in science and and also to the priesthood of Jesus Christ. My mind just kind of blew up. As you guys were talking about that, I'm like, what? One more thing? What? One more thing? Wowzers. Yeah, no, it's a fantastic story. And uh, I'm, I'm really blessed uh, to uh, call Father Ted both a classmate and, and a dear friend. Um, we get together with our classmates uh, every year uh, in January. We have a, a reunion that's been going on for 20 years now. We're 21 years of priests. We were both ordained in 1999. So um, it's a fantastic uh, annual event where priests from across the country, because we're both alumni of the uh, North American College in Rome, okay. and so uh, it brings people together from various dioceses uh, across the nation, um, and just a tremendous experience. So, Father Tad, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you so much. Great to be, be back with you, and uh, fun to get into some of these, these really timely topics of yes. today. Yes. 
I do want to just ask you a little bit about the announcement that uh, came out just about a week ago or a week and a half ago with regard to the National Institutes of Health and your appointment to a new advisory board. Can you, can you share about what this advisory board is and what your appointment means? Yes, so this is uh, an advisory board to the NIH, which has been constituted to look at the ethical issues around the use of fetal tissue from abortions in research. So this is an area of some controversy, and the current administration is seeking to lessen, decrease the reliance on this kind of tissue. And part of uh, the, the approach here has involved putting together a board of experts in the ethical arena uh, and consulting then with this board with regards to specific research proposals that the NIH receives. And um, it was set up in such a way we had our first meeting, and really this is going to be, I believe, the only meeting uh, because it was actually a six-hour meeting, and uh, it was set up where the first hour was uh, open to the public through Zoom, and there were there was some public testimony that was given by people who had signed up ahead of time, and then all of the committee members were briefly introduced. And then uh, it became closed door, and for the next five to six hours, we, uh, you know, basically worked on the charge that we have to evaluate these various proposals ethically. Okay. Um, and you said the, the only meeting of this. Can you talk about um, kind of the history of this? I, I, re, I recall the kind of the decision of the Bush administration years ago with regard to scientific experimentation or the use of human fetal tissue in research. Um, but where, where have we come and what are the propositions that are on the table that your board, uh, advisory board, has been tasked to kind of sort through and, and make recommendations? Well, so, I mean, going back to the Bush administration, as you mentioned, there were some provisions that that administration made to allow for the use of human embryonic stem cells. Those come out of embryos that are very, very small. Uh, they're about five, five days old so extremely young humans, versus what we were dealing with, which would be using tissues that are taken after a woman has had an abortion. So the abortion occurs, and then researchers uh, show up at the clinic, or there is a company that would harvest uh, tissues from the body of the deceased child. And those could be whole organs, they could be various tissues, and those would be taken and made available to different uh, university researchers. And so the question that we were tasked with was to look at, you know, what are the conditions uh, that, are being, that are being used here around the tissue and its procurement, and we were asked to review uh, specific evaluations as to whether they were ethical or not. And, you know, I can't go into the specifics of, of any of the proposals because we were under a confidentiality agreement with the National Institutes of Health. But I can tell you in general, 
the, you know, the types of things that fetal tissue might be used for would include, for example, uh, there are certain types of mice that you can make, and these mice will receive cells from, uh, from a fetus from an abortion. And what happens is the mice basically develop a human immune system. So they have human lymphocytes and human T cells and, you know, all the other human white blood cells in their bodies. And this makes those mice useful for various types of research. Because just to give you an example, um, the HIV, the AIDS virus, that virus, you cannot infect a normal mouse with it. It just, the mouse doesn't, you know, take the virus. But right. if you use one of these humanized mice, you can infect them with HIV, and you can do some research on them. So you can see that there are people out there who are going to be saying, wouldn't it make sense for us to continue to harvest cells out of abortions so that we can do some good research? Right. Uh, that's really what you know the, the committee was looking at, and whether... What are the conditions, you know, what are the concerns ethically here? And so it was, uh, it was a very extended discussion, as you can probably I imagine. Can, I can only imagine. I'm just wondering, that just, five to, hours. Yeah, just to, just to kind of help our listeners a little bit, what are some of the principles about that something coming out of some evil of abortion? What, what, what principles can we kind of rely on in general, not specifically to this particular kind of uh, procedure, but is, are there some ethical principles that we can rely on here? One of the important principles would be the requirement for informed consent. Anytime that you use human tissues, it's important to obtain consent and to be sure that that's possible to do. So, I mean, for example, if you go and um, donate one of your kidneys to somebody, uh, you would have to obviously give consent, full consent, written consent, consent where you understand that there are some risks of giving up one of your two kidneys, etc. Now, when you start talking about the situation of using tissues from an abortion, you run into a, an ethical problem here because Obviously, you cannot ask the child who just died himself or herself, because the child is below the age of reason who died in the abortion, and they cannot give consent. So what happens? Well, people say, let's ask the mom, and she mm -hmm. can sign the dotted line. She can sign the paperwork. And, you know, I've written about this uh, in some of my monthly columns, Making Sense of Bioethics, and pointed out, look, this does not work. You can't go to the mom and ask her to give consent. Why not? Because in order to be able to give consent for somebody else, like your own child, you have to have the best interests of that person in mind. Mm -hmm. And the mom just demonstrated categorically that she does not have the best interests of her child because she just allowed somebody to end that child's life. So mom cannot give valid informed consent. So that's really one of the key principles here, that you have a problem ethically right from the get-go 
that's how the researchers go about this. Right, right. No, thank you for kind of clarifying that and, and helping us to sharpen our our reasoning around that. Um, of all the issues right now that you're fielding and your colleagues are fielding at the National Catholic Bioethics Center, what seems to arise most frequently, or what is the what is the a priority, perhaps, in your uh, ministry uh, in in this area um, for 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 this current moment? Uh, I would say that end-of-life issues do uh, require a great deal of our time. We receive a lot of consultations from people trying to figure out what to do in end-of-life situations, questions about pain management, morphine usage, ventilators, feeding tubes, uh, questions about whether certain other interventions can be stopped or whether they need to be continued. That's a big area, for sure. Sure. Uh, and, and I mentioned just, I just, also... Yeah, just for a oh, second, we'll, we'll, and we'll, we'll jump back into that. I just want... Because I think, you know, if I'm, if I'm a first-time listener and I'm hearing this kind of things for the first time or, or hearing it in a new way because of the circumstances in my family, um, where, where, where would we go? Where should a, a listener go to, to find out more information uh, or contact for a consult? Where, where would that be? Yes, I mean, we do offer this free consult service. So what this means is that people who have a question can go onto our website, and the website is NCB Center. That's for National Catholic Bioethics, so ncbcenter.org. And there's a, uh, a drop-down menu there where they can uh, type in a question, and one of our ethicists will get back to them. If they prefer to call, they can do that as well. And the phone number is listed on the website. And uh, what happens is when you call in, you go into a special voicemail uh, receiver, and you leave a message, and then one of our ethicists will call you back, usually within 48 hours, uh, you know, sometimes three days. But if it's something really urgent, you need right away a response. Just indicate that, and we will get back to you sooner. Uh, and so that's really a very useful resource. We do about 2,000 free consultations every year of this type. And, you know, we get consults from priests, from uh, just lay people, from even from bishops, and, you know, from medical professionals as well who are struggling sometimes with very complicated ethical questions. So definitely your, your listeners should feel free to take advantage of that. Yeah, no, and I know personally that uh, I've relied on those consults uh, several times over the last several years and uh, find to be very helpful and also timely as well. Okay, let's get back to kind of the end-of-life issues that continue to arise. Um, are there other, perhaps an example uh, that you might be able to share with us uh, of some of the questions that arise? You mentioned pain management, palliative care, um, those kind of things. What, what, what can you share with our listeners about those kind of issues? Yeah, I mean, I think you mentioned palliative care, hospice, the question of whether hospice makes sense for a particular family situation. Those are difficult decisions. You know, I think part of the challenge when people are dying is to know when it is reasonable to scale back some of the interventions. Sometimes people get into kind of a groove where what they're doing is they're going to their medical professionals 
and they're saying, you know, what else can we do? What's the next treatment for this cancer? What other options do you have available? And they're sort of thinking all the time, next, 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 next. And sometimes it's important to step back one step and, you know, get a little bit of a big picture. And also then to look at, for example, the question of what about the sacraments? You know, think, think about the question of what if here we're not going to have the tools that are going to beat off this particular disease and this individual might die, are we also doing the spiritual part here of getting ourselves ready? You know, as a family, as the individual having a chance to take advantage of the church's sacrament, are we, sacraments, are we bringing in, you know, clergy to assist with that, et cetera, et cetera. So it's actually a multifaceted uh, occurrence, and I think, you know, it has its stresses. A lot of people who when they're dealing with this, especially if it's the first time that somebody in their family has died, they do find it to be quite stressful. But at the same time, if you do this conscientiously and carefully, and you're praying for guidance, and you're seeking the assistance of experts as you're making some of these decisions, and each day, you know, the hospital may be asking you, well, should we do this, should we do that? You make the decisions carefully. When your loved one dies later, I think you'll be able to look back on this and say, wow, there were a lot of graces. There were a lot of things that happened here that were important for me, for my family, for uh, my mom who died or my dad who died, etc. And so it reminds us that the graces of a good death, they're really important. It's a big deal. It's worth making the effort, you know, to be sure that we invest ourselves and that we do it conscientiously. Yeah, I mean, I think you come at this from a, a wonderful perspective of the whole person that we're just not a, a you know, a, a biological uh, a being moving through this mm-hmm. uh, world where um, medicine and science is the only res- response to the challenges that we face with our health and um, and that we are this spiritual. A person who has a relationship with God and a relationship with others, and that is um, that is forefront in in our total destiny uh, as children of God. Yeah, exactly. I think that can get lost in the fray sometimes, and uh, you know, it's important to approach this somewhat holistically. Uh, you know, addressing the the full person, as you're implying. So that that becomes. You know, the perspective that I think Catholic healthcare institutions and Catholic hospitals in particular, they have a special charge to do that well and to do that sort of integration for people. Yeah, so I think that's, that's really a key element for us uh, in the sense of our Catholic identity brings a, a richness and a thickness, a, a value, a beauty to all of this mm-hmm. that sometimes in the secular setting won't be there. And as a priest, you know that we've uh, we've seen what um, is, we can truly call um, beautiful deaths, where they've been surrounded with loved ones, where the sacraments have been provided, where they have a great peace as they uh, look look forward to the to to the gift of eternal life that God promises them. And we've also seen um, some challenging deaths as well. Yes, absolutely. And when the death is surrounded by prayer, and the family praying, and others. You know, it, it makes such a, a, a noticeable difference, and uh, that really becomes a good death, even when there are challenges, as you're mentioning, as there certainly always are. Death is not an easy thing for any of us. 
All right. Well, Father Tad, um, we have only scratched the surface on so <laughs> many important issues. I thank you for your valuable time and sharing that with our listeners here on Real Presence Radio. Um, maybe we can do this again sometime. And again, people can go to the website of NCB Center ncbcenter.org uh, has a wealth of materials, articles, updates, um, scholarly work, and then also the possibility of those consults when necessary. Um, once again, yeah. Dad Polchek, thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You know, one more quick website as well is, is fathertad.com. There's a, a wealth of material there also, and it connects to the other website. fathertad.com. Not your last name. No behold right. checks. It's too long. <laughs> <laughs> I still have to. Pra- I still have to practice it myself. So, well, I look forward to seeing you with our fellow classmates. Hopefully, in our uh, annual reunion down in Alabama here in January 2021. I look forward to it as well. Thank you so much, Father Christensen, and thank you, Karen. <laughs> You're welcome. Stay tuned. We're going to go to 